Oh, this is amazing. You have wigs. You're a bit of a diva, when, you know, aren't you? The setup is a bit like Babe Station. You're labelled, really, with violence, and I'm labelled with straw me mouth <laughs> and cow shit. Why does your hair grow so quick? John Barnes came on oh. and did Rapper's Delight. Legend. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I've got my good friend and colleague here from Quest, Colin Murray. I'd say more colleague. Sorry? I'd say so more colleague. Colleague, yeah. Just, just <laughs> sick of accuracy. This is, how this is how my day's gone. I'm, I I'm delighted I to... Anti <laughs> well, I didn't anticipate us being here this time. Of day. I've missed me food, but other than yeah. that, mate... This is a, this is a, a podcast stroke vodcast contra day. So you did mine first yeah. at home with Colin Murray. At home with Colin. At um, my home with Colin Murray. Yeah. And then you brought me to some attic yeah. in the middle of a town I've never been in. That's because we're going to in a minute. Worried I'm about to get my trainers stolen any second. And How can you be worried about that being a Liverpool fan? A bit dodgy. Unbelievable. And uh, I'm not, I'm just saying this, right? <laughs> I'm just saying this. The room itself, people can't see what we can see. The setup is a bit like Babe Station. You know that <laughs> naughty channel with the three cameras on land. You didn't tell me that's what you were recording. <laughs> well, we got we got to earn money the rest of the week, yeah. haven't we? <laughs> well, wow, where'd you go from there? Yeah, mm. you, you're doing this deliberately to try and lose my track of questions. It's going to be very different than our at-home record. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> See, what I want to try and do is get to get to the real you because. Have I really met him yet? When mm. we're you're a bit of a diva, when you know, aren't you? You really run it, it quest. You do. You actually bitch them around. To be fair, it's quite funny because you're experienced. Let me just correct Come the on. record here, right? <laughs> the only destruction caused at the EFL on Quest is from Ian Holloway, and I'll tell you what happened. After every EFL and Quest, we have a secret whiskey club. So we bring in, and it's great because it's a way, because it is quite pressurised. That you, this, I'm very obsessive about not making mistakes. I, I don't want to be generic about any club. When you come in, Ollie, you were like, when I was like, you know, I, I don't care what you say, say what you want, but don't ever say a team like them or, you know, always be specific about the player. So it's I'm quite intense and I put a lot of pride into it. And it's very important that the camera people feel part of it because at times it can be a bit like, come on, we need to go. Like, you know, it's time pressurised. It's a busy day. So at the end of each show, we had a, a whiskey club. And it was all good. Everything was fine. So then it finished. We came off air. A bottle of whiskey came out. Anyone that wasn't driving, little shot. We'd all get around. And, and it was a perfect moment. Until Ollie decided he knew how to run it better. So when he came in, he was like, where's the ice? We're like, well, we can't bring ice in. We're all right. So, I'll bring ice in. So the next time he was on it, he drove an entire mobile home there, plugged it into the mains in the car park, right? Just so we could have ice, right? Which you might think is a really good deed. But Ollie brought the ice in. We all had our whiskey with a bit of ice and then for, did not take the ice off the table and dis dispose of literally a huge bag of ice, which then melted overnight, completely ruined the EFL and Quest studio, the table had to be replaced. The electrics had to be replaced. The floor had to be lifted up. And the whiskey club was banned. Well, let me just tell you this. <laughs> <laughs> came from I was a, good a big place. part of that whiskey club. You, well, I bought my fair share of balls. Mm -hmm. 
Right? You did that. I tried to improve it, take it that step further. Yeah. You know? And you keep hammering me about Blackpool yeah. and why didn't I do that? Well, I tried to there. So the floor manager or floor manageress, what was she doing? Well, or what was he doing? Well, they, is it my they, they were off the clock at this stage. So they weren't getting No, no, they were in you the whiskey club. You bring it in, you get rid of it. No, no, no. <laughs> I would describe your approach to the, the, the whiskey club, quite similar to your approach at Plymouth Argyle. Do you know <laughs> what you, I mean? Would you? It's like a flash didn't last long and then out your scarboard and left wow. us left us to wipe up the Do you know what? the mess. <laughs> I would suggest you take responsibility for some of the things that you do. Oh yeah, hundred hey, percent. Unbelievable. 100%. It really no, is unbelievable. The truth of that is then you know how how amazing is that that someone would drive from Bristol in a in a motor home and plug it in just for us to have ice. It was a shame he left it in the table and ruined the whiskey club, but the thought process sums the man up. Yeah, to be fair, that Very nice what I did, I dapped it down and forgot it. That's my problem. Mm-hmm. But really, you would have thought someone else would have cleared up after well, us. Well, try telling that to the to the three people that get sacked because yeah. we didn't have enough budget to pay them because we had to replace oh, the studio and they now... That is, that is, well, people, he's lying. That is not true. No, one of them... I need proof of that. The, you know, one of them, you know what they say, you're only two paychecks away. Uh, one of them now lives lives rough off the back of that in London. Um, and <laughs> Ollie could lend them his motorhome, couldn't he, really, to make amends? That's a good point. Oh, my God. Where are you? What are you? Who threw you a biscuit? Who's rattled your cage over there? The quietest man in the world. He's been oh. got at by Murray. Okay, mm. he's been Murray minted. <laughs> anyway. So what do you want? You want to know what the type of sort of... No, Away from the... I want to know a bit more about you because I read yeah. a few things, right? And we've, we've looked at it. And yeah. Tell me about when you were at school. Um, you don't sound very nice when... I mean, they said you were hyperactive. Is that true? Yeah, I think I, think I come from that generation, Ollie, that, that it could be similar to you, where it, 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 a child... Say what I was like at four. If it was a kid now, they, they'd probably be taking... You know, they go through tests and they'd be given a place uh, on some part of a spectrum somewhere. You know, like, it's, it's the truth. I mean, I couldn't get my words in the right order. Yeah. So, funny enough for what I do. So, I would say, uh, meet to please you, Holloway Inn. And that was my, like, up until I was like three or four. So, I had to go to speech therapy and learn how to put words in a sentence right. So, my brain would always go to the wrong part of the sentence. And... I slept like an hour a day. My mum says like the first three years was hell. So it was the easiest birth, but the worst three years. She, she gave birth to me in 10 minutes. She said the easy birth. And she says, my sister, she goes, she was easy. She was a hard birth and the easiest kid to bring up. You were the easiest birth, 10 minutes. And then the next three years she paid for it because she never slept. So, and, and I mean, that carries right through until it's only now in the last couple of years, and I'm 42, that I need... I need a good six hours sleep a day. Otherwise, like, you know, I'll, I will feel it and I'll start to suffer work-wise. So, so when they... So very hyperactive, like yeah. officially well, they, hyperactive. They actually found some things and they had to... The speech therapy was the thing. But I, I'm pretty sure, you know, as you go through life and, and this generation, we're so much more informed now mm. um, about sort of... But yeah, I'm, I'm acutely aware of my hyperactivity and yeah. But did they expel you from the school? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. And I didn't say... That can't be well, just I that. Say, <laughs> <laughs> I on. didn't stay in many schools long. So I grew up in a, in a council estate called 
Bally being a state and Dundonald, which is East Belfast, right? It's the last thing you see before Fields, or it would have been then. And um, we went there for eight years, and then we moved to a place called Newton Ards, but further down the road. It sounds boring, but it's kind of important, I suppose. And I, mem- I always remember my stepdad bought, we bought a house, you know, which was like the ultimate goal then, you know, 24 grand. I always remember that. So we felt like, uh, we felt like the royal family. And then my granda died and we moved back to a place called Cumber Road, which was right on the edge of Ballybean Estate. So at, after, I think, three years, we moved back into his house. So maybe from the age of 11 or 12, I was on back on the edge. And then when I was 16, I moved back in. So the vast majority was in that in that area. So my upbringing was very normal in my eyes. Mm. But obviously, when you look back at it through different eyes, when you get older and you realise that no, growing up in sort of a divided community, you know, second biggest council state in Europe, I think, um, and all being one side of a civil war, it's not a normal upbringing, is it? Mm. So, um, so my upbringing was colourful and it was vibrant and, you know, uh, troublesome. And But I wasn't a bad kid. Like, my getting expelled was nothing to do with being part of any type of... Uh, you know, like, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I didn't have weapons and I didn't have any of that. I, mine was just, I wouldn't shut fuck up. <laughs> and I would ask questions nonstop, 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 nonstop. Must have been awful for the teachers with that hyperactivity. Mm. So I went to school in Bali, being a state, uh, primary school, and when it, I, I had all sorts there because when I was six, I wouldn't leave the school until my teacher gave me a kiss in the cheek. And this became a big thing that I had in my head, right? <laughs> I think she was called Miss Graham. And it's, it's like at that stage, you don't have a clue what anything's about. But this thing, I always remember my mum having to go up and it was a big thing. You, ca- you, you can't do this. The teacher said, this is really awkward. I still wouldn't, I, I wouldn't back down. Then I went to school in Newton Ards and passed my 11 plus, as it was called then, to get into grammar school. Went to grammar school called Regent House, which didn't suit me at all. Because, you know, I understand you got to teach all of these kids in a room, but that was like asked to take your blazer off when it's 32 degree heat and as somebody as you know questions ever, I won't I, I'm not afraid to say to you and you and you've all your experience in football I'll not be afraid to say to you why mm. you know so I you know whether you think that's rude or inquisitive so I was asked to leave I don't think they wanted the expulsion the record they weren't for kicking mm. people out but it was no uncertain terms just before my GCSEs uh, that you know they asked me to leave and then I went to Dundonald High uh, right in the edge of the state again uh, for the last two. And they were the most productive two years. I met an English literature teacher um, called Mrs. Piper. Who Did she su- have to kiss you as well? She, no, she was all right. She got away, but I just kissing other people by that stage all. <laughs> Grew up quick. Don't worry about that. Um, and she was brilliant because instead of going, shut up, she went, oh, you like to read, do you? You like words. You should be a journalist. You should write stories. You should read this book. And I loved her. So she'd give me... She'd stay away from Shakespeare. Don't read that. You won't like that. Read Sean O'Casey. Do you know what I mean? Read yeah. The Killer Mockingbird. And that was kind of like the, what gave me the confidence to become a, to go into print journalism, which was actually what I was doing. It was nothing to do with radio or anything. So I had that fascination with words, even when I couldn't get them in the right order. And then she was, I think you do need to find, you've had it with your kids, right? It's mm-hmm. like find the right place for them. Yeah. And it was like, she was the right person for me. She was the first one that went, don't, sh- don't shut up, you know? So that was the education. Right, so right. annoying child rather than a bad one. You can relate to that. So how many brothers and sisters you got? I'm just trying to place you in. in got, the... My mum was sexually active for a long time. So <laughs> I've got uh, a weird old family. I've got a big sister. 
and then I got a brother who's ten years younger than me, and then I got a sister who's about twenty years younger than me. So she, so I, so my, I think my, I think my youngest sister was born like eighteen, and my uh, my oldest, the eldest, was born at eight when I when my mum was eighteen, and then she had one like in her early forties. Right. So we've got a big range in our family. So we got we got a lot. And my brother, he's um, yeah, he's the smart one. He's in tech, a tech firm, doing all the well, software stuff. Oh, he lives yeah, in the states in a massive house and all that. Yeah, he's got shares. So yeah, he's the he's the clever one. It don't matter what he's got. It ain't about that, mate. Is it? That'll make you clever, does it? It's good when you you just need somewhere to stay in the states. <laughs> <laughs> how important was the the Toronto thing? Because I remember reading years ago about that and th- thought how interesting it was. Basically, yeah. the government what was it the government basically sent you on holiday. Yes, yes. If you come up with a good business plan and you were from a a low earning single parent family and all that type of stuff, which at that stage we very much were, it was. Uh, part of the ceasefire, you know, the Good Friday Agreement, they would take you out of your area to go and live um, in another country for 10 weeks, and I stayed a year. Um, and hugely important, if, if if I, you know when they say, if you were king for a day, what would you do, you know? Mm. The one thing I would do straight away is take a, any area that has issues with, with racism and bigotry and high levels of that. It comes from the fear of the unknown. I have not lived in an area with certain people from certain parts of the world, and I fear it. And that was the best thing ever happened to me. I grew up in not just an estate that was that was almost entirely white, but only one half of Christianity, not even the other half, you know. And and I was shielded from a lot of things. And when you're shielded mm. from things, I think you fear them. Mm. I think I grew up in an area like you did where, you know, there was no less gay people when we were growing up, mm. but you, you don't say it mm. in a council estate. And I moved to Toronto, and I swear, we lived in a place on Young and Wellesley, in the heart of the gay district of Toronto. And so I literally went from a council estate that was very much one culture and one type of people, just dropped in here. And it was just screaming every religion, every sexuality. I loved it. It was like going from... I love where I grew up, but in culturally, it was like going from black and white to like technicolor. Wow! So that I'm, that is the most important moment of my life in ter- mm. terms of learning what the world was all about. And all of a sudden, the world seemed huge. Northern Ireland seemed huge, and then when I moved there, I realised how small it is yeah. and how there's a big world out there. I would love to take every kid who can't afford to go on holiday. I think we'd be so well spent culturally to spend that money to take them away, even for just two weeks. Do you know what I've been reading up is for me trying to understand the whole Ireland, Northern Ireland thing. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a brain freeze for all of us, yeah. you know. Can you try and explain it? I think if, if to, to a total layman, yeah, can, can you try and explain it? It's even more complicated than you think, yeah, because it's it's always betrayed as uh, okay, the Protestant side of the community, so we're talking religion, mm. are all unionists. Now we're talking politics, mm. um, and the word loyalist is connected. Now unionist isn't necessarily a loyalist. Mm. A loyalist, you would assume, with the further the more extreme side of that. And the same with nationalist, Republican and Catholic. But I could tell you that I know Catholic unionists and I know Protestant nationalists. 
And it becomes very... The, the, the ultimate, what I've learned, when you grow up, it's a, it's kind of ring. It's dangerous and exciting. When you're a kid, mm-hmm. anything that's dangerous is exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, Carl Frampton, the boxer, talks brilliantly about this. He grew up in what I think is the largest council state in Europe, <laughs> in Belfast. And he talks brilliantly about it, about growing up and just being so glad that you could all you were always on the edges of it because you couldn't not be. You were in that, that you grew up in it. And he was like, it wasn't to do with Protestant Catholic or anything. It was the danger of it. Like when yeah. you say to a kid, they're all throwing rocks over there. Yeah. You don't go on a drive, go out the back and read the Bible, do you? You're no, like, no. oh, there's people throwing rocks. That's the kid's mentality is attracted to it. It's hard to explain. I, I, I can only tell you my point of view is I'm not yeah. like as an adult. Um, I don't believe anything's worth any form of physical violence. No, true. Um, I don't think religion's worth physical violence. I don't think politics is worth physical violence. Mm. It, it's complicated. And like, if you look at any situation of civil war or two neighboring countries that fight, it's like, where do you start the date? Mm. Where do you start the date? Let's 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 go to Israel and l- let's look at that. Where do you start the date? And, it, and depending on who you talk to, mm. people become very fanatical about. For me... The Northern Ireland I want always put across is the one I've always known, which is, yes, there was a, looking back at it now, an unmentionable, horrific violence when I was growing up. Mm. But that's not the the majority of Northern Ireland I know, which is, Mm. I remember Gerry Anderson, the broadcaster, once said, when he was asked to sum up Northern Ireland, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, it's like 90% the salt of the earth and 10% the scum of the earth. That was his quote. And it always stuck me because, like, honestly, Ollie, you could go into any area of Belfast and you could knock any door. And I'm sure 99 out of 100 would welcome you in, even with your accent, <laughs> your Wurzel's accent, That's what and give you a bed. You know, mm. you can sleep my satire, don't know you that, that, the warmth of it. Yeah. And that, but you see, people never got that. The only thing you ever got, only time you ever heard about Northern Ireland was Jerry Adams. In Paisley, you know, this is all you would hear. That was what's defined us. Yeah. And that infuriates me when um, still now, most of what's in the national news once in a while will be uh, what I don't think defines us, which is the negatives exactly. and the minority, you know. That's why the Euros were brilliant, you know, because everyone could see Northern Ireland fans and Republic of Ireland fans just drinking at bars together. Yeah. No trouble whatsoever. The newspapers don't want to report that, do but they? That, they just that, want that one little thing where some idiot sings some stupid yeah, song. That's not our perception of it, but it no. must be. The people are so warm, aren't they? Yeah, very much so. And and horrendously good drinkers. Um, <laughs> I used to be the lightweight. So when I used to go to the pub, right, Marty and Collie and everyone, they'd be like, oh, there he is, lightweight Murray. So always the first to go. And then I moved to London when I was like 23. And I remember one of the first nights out I had where new people had met at BBC Radio 1. And literally one of them took me aside and said, you slow down a wee bit in the booze. (laughs) So I don't know whether it's Irish people drink too much or English people can't hold a drink. It's one or the other. One or the other. One or the other. You mentioned accents there and Ollie's accent. And I think that's probably something you've maybe got in common because I'm pretty sure I've heard you say in the past about regional accents and, you know, in your line of work, there aren't enough of them for a start. And mm-hmm. I guess there's a perception with both of you that people would have made a judgment about both of you in in your respective lines of work mm. from hearing you talk. I think so. I mean, when I hear Ollie... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to go there. There we go. Don't go there. There is a... I remember... Because there's different things you earn money for in there, mm-hmm. like in podcast for example would be right low down the list mm. 
Um, but if when you get into work in the sort of media, voiceover is really high. Like you know, if you can be the person that goes, uh, you know, parcel, not really nearly clean, but really clean is loads of money. And I'd never get any of these. And I remember saying to my agent, like after about five years, like you know, I've never had a proper voiceover. And she went, it's dead simple. She's like, the English accent's normal. People expect to hear that Middle England accent, and that's okay. The Welsh accent's like they like that. It's quite quirky and warm. Right, and then the Scottish accent is lyrical, you know, poetic. That that sort of we associate poetry with it, don't we? Robbie Burns and Braveheart, and and you can really inspire with it. And she said, your accent, if you say, you know, do you love anyone enough to give to, to give them your last rollo? What people hear is give them the last rollo now. <laughs> it, it because the the threat is there. It's because you've only heard it like that, right? You up, I'm so up you here. You're down there. Yeah. We are a legitimate political party. That's all people here. So, and I get that because that's the only time you ever heard it. My exception to Jimmy Nesbitt doing BT ads. Um, you, you don't hear it that often still now. I think you're right. There is an association with it. And um, I remember doing an ad for the Daily Mirror and they can only use it in Northern Ireland because they can't say Mirror. Um, so that's another problem we have, you know, Parshar, Mirror. I, I just don't... So what you're saying is that I could possibly only do a... No one's buying. Uh, no one's a buying a Mercedes. Yeah, yeah, correct. Rightly or wrongly, no one's buying a Mercedes Benz on us. If if you have an amazing Mercedes <laughs> Benz, right, and it's forty thousand pounds, you want Stephen Fry doing that voiceover, don't you? Artistic, aerodynamic, <laughs> or fastest ever, right? What's their catchphrase, Mercedes? I don't know. Whatever it is. They don't voice brung, duck technique, whatever it is. No, they don't do that. They don't do that one. No. They don't want, why don't you buy the new? <laughs> or they don't want, here, mate, that Mercedes is brilliant. <laughs> so we're not there. We're not associated with that historically. Buy so, that new so Mercedes. So you're, you're labelled, really, with violence, and I'm labelled with strawmy mouth. <laughs> and cow shit. Really? <laughs> is that what you're saying? I think we're making sweeping generalizations for comedy purposes, but yes, we're going at. I I literally would not waste any sleep over it. You know, I'm, I I love my accent. I try not to lose it. I have. No one thinks I've lost it because it was so thick when I moved mm. over. Like I had the thickest right mate right there, <laughs> and I've lost that edge. And sometimes I'll say shower instead of shower, but my mates will pick me up on it. You know. And if I go home for two weeks, you wouldn't understand me when I come back. Um, I think you have to want to lose your accent, Ollie. I think my brother started saying things like, you know, he moved to America, Hundo P instead of 100%, and uh, Center instead of Center. And I go, Chris, just say Center. And he goes, yeah, but people won't understand that here. They say Center. And I'm like, they're going to understand Center. I think you have to want to lose your accent. You know, like uh, Graham McDowell, you know, the the Irish uh, golfer. Mm. He's been there so long. His accent, he'll say things like, um, so I was walking down a street, down a sidewalk. And he goes from Northern Irish. And by the end of the set, I once did that impression to him, thinking it would be a good way to break the ice in an interview. Really wasn't. Didn't go well. Didn't go, <laughs> didn't well. go great. No, didn't go no. great. He was all right. But I could see he was looking at me going, dickhead. What's, what's, is that the worst thing that's happened to you when you've interviewed someone? Um, Have you got one One of my favourite moments ever was we were doing... Uh, I was doing the UEFA Cup for Channel 5. It was my first real mm. TV job in sport. 
I still love that. I love going to Everton because I was shit myself as a Liverpool fan, <laughs> yeah. thinking I wouldn't go to Everton. I'd only ever been in the way end once. Mm. I only knew it as a fan. But actually, the truth is, and I don't know where it happens with Bristol City and Bristol Rovers, it's the same staff because they're never at home on the same day. So in order to have full-time staff like doormen and caterers, there's a lot of swapping goes on. Mm-hmm. And so it's half red, half blue anyway. So I thought, I'll get there at three o'clock before anyone turns up because they want to get a clip in the air. So I was there way earlier than needed to be. And I remember walking the door and the two security guards went, hey lads, come here, hey lads. And I came over and they lifted me by the arms, walked me to the gate, literally with my feet in the air like this. <laughs> they walked me outside the ground, turned me towards Anfield and went, Mile down that way, red shite. <laughs> and walk back in and burst out laughing. And from that, literally now, I break my neck to work there because mm. they've they always been brilliant. But Maradona was there and the whispers went round. We were like, I wonder where he come on our show. It was for Channel 5, no budget. And uh, like, I wonder where he come on the show and negotiate. He wants money every time, right? No money in it. Okay, and eventually they went, Diego Maradona, come on your show. So, um, there was a little area, you know, at the side of the tunnel and Dave Beckett was there. To, he was going to bring him in an interview and uh, Maradona arrived for this pre-recorded six o'clock. He walked into the room and Dave Beckett goes, Diego! And Diego went, nah, and walked out the door. <laughs> <laughs> and we were all watching, just falling about laughing. It was classic Maradona. But I think you'll agree with this. We, it, it talks to what he said about it. this is a connection now you know the same storyline I believe in the good well, I the way I use my Twitter account 99% of people that are involved in, in that in my social media world are brilliant people mm. and 1% are idiots and people like to talk about me ask me about Northern Ireland it's a beautiful warm country and it's mm. changed so much over the years and I tell everybody to go there mm. and I'd have told everyone to go there before the troubles ended because it was an amazing place you only ever hear same in with people who are, whether they're football managers or bands or whatever, sports stars. Most of them are nice, right? Mm. Most of them are nice. Most of them are nice. But the, people want to know about the dickheads, don't they? Mm. It's more interesting. Who wants me to go? I made a programme at Quentin Tarantino once, so I got to spend mm. half a day a day with him, nearly. And he was amazing. You know, like absolutely this mm. giant of a man who was... Knew everyone's name, every cameraman's name, every sound person's name, everyone's name. Brilliant guy. But you don't want to hear that. You want to hear about the first name I didn't like. Very few. Do you remember the band Aha? Mm-hmm. They came on Radio 1 once to do an interview with Edith Bowman and I. And Morton Harkett, the lead singer of that, with he queen. was deliberately swearing on air. And he swore on air. And like uh, you could tell even the other band members weren't too keen on him. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So people like but Very few. Very few people are not nice. I'm sticking to that. It was like when we persuaded Ollie to start a Twitter account and... Was that your fault? Yeah, sorry for that. He's good but at it, isn't he? He is very good at it, yeah. yeah. But most of the comments are good. And, and you know, every now and then a Millwall fan will call you a nonce. But, you know, th- that's the <laughs> that's the minority. And you've got to see it that way, haven't you? Most people are saying brilliant stuff. Yeah. Love you. You're funny. I love, I love all the stuff. You're a warm guy. I've had a look through his Twitter account and I would say at least 51% of it's positive. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely a majority there. It's about the Brexit. 50, 50 don't, seat, don't start on don't that. Start him on that eh? Don't Woo! start me on that one. Listen, I've, you're right I, though. I was asked. I've seen do. that account and it's good. And do you know why? Because you interact with people and you talk to them directly. And that's what most, that's what social media was invented for. Not for somebody to sit there 
and try and get six million followers because they're outrageously controversial, which you can. If you go on there every day now and you start pumping out bile, you will get a lot more followers than you have now, but you won't have any connection to them and they won't have any connection to you. Uh, social media for me is a way to find out, uh, to first of all, to put my column out there in particular for people to read every week, to interact with people, to connect with people about things that I'm passionate about and they're passionate about, but also to keep me in check. So they send me a message. You said this tonight uh, on the show, just to correct you, that's not actually the case at the club. Brilliant. Let me write that down. Let me do that. And about one in every six days, someone going, dickhead. And I'm like, great, I'm glad I'm not you. And do you ever, <laughs> he doesn't click on them, he doesn't look at it, do you? Ever clicking, the majority of people that will criticise you on Twitter, click on their profile and you'll feel more sorry for them than angry, you know? I've looked the other day, I got really raging over one bloke. I was raging, and I said to Kim, what? She went, just relax. What did he say? I don't want to. I don't want to say it. It just. It was one of well, the first not, ones why? I read, and I would I get said, any comedy out of it if you told me? No, probably, but I'm not gonna. I'm not. It might I, I'm a not good here to clip. No. I'm. I'm just going back to my first question. I asked you. I'm getting this feeling. Yeah. You know, you were that hyperactive. You have to be some unbelievably busy fella to be able to do all of that. Yeah, I. I, I kind of. Did you ever reach a stage financially where you went right? Because you you grew up in a very I I almost would I would guess now, my house in Bali being exactly like your mum's council house, right? I'm I'm pitching the same thing. It's grey at the front. It's part of a terrace run. You yeah. might have even a wee bit of a garden with it. It's got your living room, your kitchen, two bedrooms, bathroom done. Right, three we three. Have. Yeah, we had a box room, two and one. Yeah, yeah right, same area. Didn't have much at all, borrowing things from neighbours, but kept what you had really clean and really in spick and span. Exactly. That's the real strange thing about growing up in, and we've lost that, I think, with this generation now, but growing up in an area where there was there was obvious violence. There wasn't that many people in Northern Ireland, remember, as well. So if you look at the amount of people who were injured or hospitalised or, or shot or anything, or, or, or the worst case scenario, of course, murder, it's quite a high percentage when you look at it. If I... But despite all that and everything going on, and if I had to kick the ball, if I had to pull the plant out of somebody's garden, that was almost the worst thing you could do. <laughs> Nobody would do that. Yeah. Nobody would ever, ever go up and terrorise some old lady living in the street or mug some old guy. That was the worst thing. You would get in a lot massive. of trouble for that, Ollie. I got in massive trouble. We played knockout, knockout ginger on a... Mm -hmm. And in the end, my mum ended up looking after this lady. She was a lovely lady, mm. but we were all scared of her. Mm. And um, we used to deliberately knock on it. And when mum mm. caught me, it was like fucking. She told trouble Dad, was, there, right? I was, uh, I was locked in my bedroom for a, a month. I couldn't go out and play. Yeah, exactly. That was the worst thing to do. But it wasn't my idea. But she, yeah. Dad said you should have told him to shove it. Yeah. But you had right, so you would you knew what comp what nothing was, mm. and you knew the price of of a, a pint of milk, mm. and then all of a sudden you were making money that well, didn't connect your education, mm. right? Because you told me this earlier, you're mm. good at two things, sport and art. Mm. So I'm I'm not imagining you have twenty GCSEs and eight A levels. No, I have no. four GCSEs, grade to one grade B and three grade Cs, and it was just did it interest me. So maths, they wouldn't let me go above intermediate. They wouldn't let me take the big one. So I got a C, which is all you could get. English, English literature, history, everything else, nothing. So it took me a long time when I started earning money. To, you talk about the hyperactivity, but it was also like, 
get as much as you can because any second now, <laughs> yeah. you must have had that yeah. sometimes looking and going I've earned that much playing football and then in the management if I never worked another day could that get me until the end <laughs> so that's always been there and that makes you work harder I think so I've always done that right so what's going to be next for you Where have you got a target are you are you no, because you, you asked me, like, uh, you said, well, what type of person are you? I'd sum it up as that's the kind of side of it of being a little bit crazy, a little bit unhinged. But I am the, probably the most anti-social social person, you know? Like, I, I'm happy to... Well, say that. Yeah, yeah, like, I don't, honestly, I've, 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 ever, I've only ever been on the side of what we do that involves people knowing who you are at any level, even at my low level, is the bit that I fight against all the time. I'm, I like, I, I, I've been on one red carpet in my life and that was only because somebody I knew made a movie and they were like, will you please come to this? It was 24-hour party, people always remember. Mm -hmm. Any other time I've been on a red carpet or anything like that has been because I've been working for, for a company there. I've had to go to interview people. Mm. I don't talk about uh, my private life. I'm happy to talk about growing up and all that existential mm -hmm. stuff with it, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm very... I don't really care about how many people watch what I do or listen to what I do. Mm. This is like if, if five people watch this or 5,000 people watch it or 50,000, it doesn't make a difference to me. Mm. I just want to sit and talk to you. Mm. So I'm very, um, I don't, I just, I just do my job and then I don't gauge the success by how many people watch it. So when, it, when it's like what's next for me, I'm really happy what I'm doing. The EFL and Quest, I enjoy doing more than Match of the Day too by a million miles mm. because I get to sit with people as you know from one o'clock I get to question it mm. I get to say to you get to say to whoever my pundit is hold on a second tell me how that's happened and why did he do that and you would say do you know I don't think that's worked right and I'd go well hold on a second what about that though that happened last week and you don't look down your nose at me you don't go sorry who'd you play football for mm. you go Good point, Carl. Or you go, you're talking through your arse. <laughs> right? Which is great. Most you're always learning. It, really. And it's hard work, you know? That's instilled mm -hmm. in us as well. Like you got to earn your money. So I love doing that. And in our two and a half years is on that contract. I love doing the snooker because I get to spend... I love the sport for a start, mm -hmm. but I get to spend you know 40 days a year with Neil Folds and Jimmy White, which is just... Mm -hmm. the f shouldn't get paid for it. Yeah. It's amazing. I love doing my radio shows, my podcasts. So... What's next is just hopefully just doing things I like doing. I, I wouldn't care if that was on, uh, you know, BBC Bristol mm. or it was on, uh, I don't know, whatever the biggest TV station is in the world. I don't care. I think that's a, a plus and a negative, you know. So I remember you once said about a bar and I loved the idea of it. In, yeah. In Thailand, have you gone off that yet? Or? Yeah, I've, it wasn't in Thailand. It was wasn't in, it? It, it, it just made me look like a creep. <laughs> No, you said you want like a fifty-year-old guy going to open a bar in Thailand on his own. That's not, that's exactly Ollie. That's not what I said what at said. all. You, you, I don't know why you even get Thailand in your head. It was in America because I, I love baseball, right? You know that. Yeah, I know. It was you in the that, states. But you said Thailand, and you wanted to retire. I didn't say Thailand. You did. Yeah. This guy's off his rocker. And you were going. I've only been to Thailand once. You were going to cross dress, and you were going to. Now, come on, you can say this. I think you said it to me, actually, in, in the interview. No, did, I said my son... you said you might he, do something else. No, my son said he wants us to go to Thailand because he loved it over there. Right. And then you... You view me as your second you, son. Yeah, so I did, yeah. And then you were on about, wouldn't it be great... To open a bar, yeah. Open a bar. A little and just, cafe, little bar. A little can of lilt and just sit there. 100% can of lilt as well. 
Unbelievable. Um, that would be exactly what I would drink. But uh, with a lot of whiskey in it. Yeah. I do believe that you only get... I'm not religious, so I don't believe there's anything after. So I, and, and you never know when your last day is. So I do believe, as I've got older, in a form of existentialism, which is like, what did you do today? That's all that matters. Not tomorrow, not yesterday. So I try and say, what did I do today? Well, this is worth it. This is a day I didn't waste. So um, apart from you beat me at darts... That was awful. But at least I played you at darts. That was a good thing. So... Yeah, but for real game, I don't, I'm not sure if we yeah. were, like, you know, if there yeah. was things on it, I don't... I mean, t- 201, when you ever play 201? No, but we did 501, you were brilliant. I we went, did that one like a 501, you went 125, 87, was it? And then checked out. I had out. about 325s, didn't I? Do you know what I mean? Anyway, let's anyway. not go there. Um, so, yeah. So, I always think that you shouldn't define yourself by your job. So, but at the moment, that's how I earn my money. It's not like I can go on a law degree and start doing that. Like I don't have any qualifications, but I'd like to think at some stage I could try a different part of my life. You know, where people go, how long have you been running a, running, how long have you been running this bar? Or how long have you been doing this? And you go, oh, well, actually, no, I was, I used to do radio and TV and stuff and write, but now I do And they're like, no, you didn't. You know, like, you know when you're an old guy and you you, you go, I once did a documentary with Quentin Tarantino. And everyone goes, this guy's off his head. I'm getting like that, aren't I? Right? But you would do that, wouldn't you? You, you. I think I could see, see you doing something completely different. And you'd be all right with it. I'd have to try and enjoy it. Yeah, that's the key, you know? I think, I think you can always have a second life the other, the other thing I want people to know is, and it's a bit weird, but and I know this, and I shouldn't really know this, but mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you live. Why does your hair grow so quick? Oh, my God. Frightening. Kim, You've never seen never anything right. like it, right? It's never right. He's not go. normal. All right. right, no one's ever asked me that. There you go. It's an original question. But he's right. So I get it cut zero to one and a four and every two. So this was cut 10 days ago. It's unreal. But my grandfather on my mum's side, who's my absolute hero, he had the same thing. Like, you know, no matter, he had this head of hair. <laughs> That's who they say you, you take after, don't you? And uh, you, you look for your grand, your mo- your mother's dad's usually who I think you take after. So you I'm can... not kidding you now. I'm looking at you now and I can almost see it growing. It's just not right. Yeah, it's crazy. It's and he somewhere... had this hair of hair. He used to always go like this through his hair when he was like 70. It was like low oh, down. But he was, a, he was a secret agent, wasn't he? So we didn't, we didn't find that out until after. I remember going to stay with him. Um, what, he's a 007 thing, or well, for real, to some extent, yeah. So he, he so he was like, uh, so I, my, my upbringing's a bit weird in terms of brought up kind of stepdad came in at some stage, and then mm. uh, he's he a great guy. But really, my, my grandfather was the only omnipresent guy. He was always about, um, so very very important person. But he was never talked about much in the old time. You get a little, but I look back at it now when I was in single digits. Bear in mind, there was no internet mm. until when? 94, 95, 96. Mm. There was no computers that worked. He used to have a computer. He had a computer in the 80s in, his, in this flat that was wired up the keyboard that he could type on. I'd be like, what's that? And he's like, oh, it's just to do these. Uh, and he, he had all these mad things. And then he dropped the old thing. His last thing he ever said before he died was they went, my, my mum and uh, the sisters were like, come on, JC, you can tell us now. What, what actually did you do? You know, and he went, and he went, I shot JFK. You know, that was his joke. He was always joking. <laughs> but basically, I've, I've worked it out since then because of various things that happened. Some of which you can say, some of them, but like Mandy trying to get her pension. 
And it turned out for a few years she was working for MI6 when she thought it was a carpet company and he got her a job working this receptionist carpet company and various things. So we, I've worked out a thing, he, he code broke. So he's a special officer, which is the real name for a secret agent, a special officer. But I think he was a, he was a code breaker of some sort because he worked at Bletchley. Uh, and my mum said, I said to my mum, she's, she's one of, strange my mum. She, she can do a crossword like that, right? Mm. The common sense bit isn't there as well. I said, there, I was trying to get to the bottom of this, you know, and I was hearing all these little bits trying to pass. I think, I think he might have been a special officer. She, I was like, tell me about when you were going. She was like, well, no, there was nothing strange. We'd move away very quickly. We seemed to be living one place. And it's like, okay, where'd you live? And she was going through all these places. And she goes, yeah, no, there was nothing. I mean, we lived in the countryside in England for a while, like for a year. I said, like, what was that called? And she was like, I can't remember. Belgium. Ble-. I was like, Bletchley. She went, yeah. You know, without realising. So he was amazing. He's this amazing character. Um, and uh, fast forward years later, the first time ever that MI6 were recruiting secret agents, special officers, they used to be the top of the shoulder, right? They advertised for the first time and they wanted young people. So they did one interview and it was BBC Radio 1 when I was there and they picked my show. And this is before, actually. So this is before I knew what was going on. We were like, it's weird. Why have they picked my show to do the interview? Edith and I. And uh, Moyles has got more listeners. Scott Mills has got more listeners. Why us? And I wonder, looking back, was that just quick history search and everyone that worked there? Ding, ding, ding. He'll do. But we had to sign a proper secrets thing. And they took us away in a van. We went somewhere, I can't tell you. And we interviewed a female and male special officer. And we're, we can never ever say what they look like or anything like that. And I couldn't anyway because they look so nondescript. Like I really couldn't describe them. They weren't like you'd think. It wasn't like Mr. and Mrs. Bond. But as we were leaving, the male guy goes, the male guy, obviously he was male. The, the, the male special officer went just off mic. And her voice had to go through like 10 filters, right? My daughter's a big fan of the show. Have you got anything you could sign for you and Edith? And I was like, oh yeah, we got these picture cards. So I got the marker and I was like, who do you want me to make it out to? And he went, son, just sign it. <laughs> <laughs> Those little moments are like amazing. Like, That's unbelievable. Yeah. That all come from me asking you about your hair. I know. And then Miranda. Miranda. I think I can work anything back to him. But that sums me up. If I can talk about someone else rather than myself, I kind of go there. Are you like him then? He was uh, very like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can't sit in one place. He 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 was like, um, he always had money, right? That was the weird thing, right? You know, like not a lot, but he was never short of a bob. Like, you know, he'd live in Canada and then he'd come back and he'd live in the Wicklow Mountains in a caravan. And then be like, where is he now? Oh, he's living in somewhere else. And I don't know how late in his life he would do wee bits of work, maybe. But um, he was... Um, yeah, he was. I've definitely got his blood because, like, I, I, I am not fearless when it comes to where I'd live or mm. what I need. He didn't have much, mm. and I very much turned into that adult. You know, mm. I don't have a car. I don't want a house with more than two bedrooms. Why? You know, I don't want the spendex. It's nice to earn money in this job because, like, I can buy. I can go. My idea of a treat is I'm going to shop like all saints. And not have to worry about the price of a jumper. I think that's like the biggest privilege ever. But I think no matter what you earn, and I'm not that much, but you know, more than the average, it's how you're brought up with money in it. Mm. You know, and he taught me a lot of that stuff. To me, Walls Vianetta will always be posh, you know, <laughs> and Schlur. Do you know Schlur, the grape juice? 
to me that's still I can't we used to only have that at Christmas so when I can now buy that whenever I want I'm like how posh is that I got the poshest wife in the world because she lived off the council estate she lived in oh. private road yeah semi detached yeah. house I'm not talking about the relationship yeah I'm gonna, I'm just, <laughs> just almost getting one there thinking about it <laughs> <laughs> the posh uh, you know they were so far away weren't they like even just in the outside estate seemed like a million miles away because we had the Bloomfield girls so we went to the Donald High uh, but we had the Bloomfield girls and uh, I remember dating a Bloomfield girl it made me feel very very special <laughs> I married one maybe <laughs> can we talk a little bit of football before we wrap up yes yeah what about your team then is that which one Northern Ireland or Liverpool no I'm going to go I'm going to go away from Northern Ireland yeah because I don't want to hear about him again yeah that's my number one I'm club I'm country over club I can't listen about another O'Neill I, oh, I mean I'm, I was with him for six seven hours the other day and oh. yeah I almost had a jumper with O'Neill on it I just <sighs> don't want to hear anymore so let's go on about Liverpool right okay. and I know I shouldn't ask you this but I'm going to because one of your favourite best moments of your life was Tell us about it when you did oh, the older... maybe the best hour of my career, definitely. My mate Tom was organising the fan park in Madrid, head of the European Cup, and he rings me and he taught... The story is, Tom and I go back a long time going to games together, and then he was working for the club, and now he's sort of quite high up in there in terms of the uh, tourism side and all that mm. stuff and, and that. Um and he's just the most, he's the loveliest guy. And he would have come out a lot with me DJing when I was at Radio 1. So he's been at loads of unis where I've DJed and freshers balls and tents and all that type of stuff. Um, I'm just aware that Ollie will not know freshers ball as balls as a phrase. He thinks that's rude. It's not. Good God, um, it awful. Yeah. And so he rings me and he goes, Call, I've got like, I've got John Parr playing in the stage and Jamie Webster and I've got all this set up, but I want someone to DJ to these 10,000 Liverpool fans for an hour. And I know what you're like when you're out. I know that you know how to read a crowd and not just play young people's. You know, it's going to be a big cross range. Come and DJ for an hour, 10,000. I was like, nerves already. I'll be the only plastic scouser on the stage for a start, right? Everyone else will be proper scouse. Okay, I'll do it. Of course, I have to do it. And then he rings me and he goes a week before, whatever. 20,000 without, okay, good. Okay, double nerves. Day before, 45,000 going out. And on the day, 75,000. So I'm going, you can't see the end of the crowd. So, so nervous. But so I put this set together. What do you play? So so an 18-year-old and an 80-year-old likes it. You know, it's a very small list of tracks. I didn't just want to play Liverpool tunes. So, you know, I finished with Bohemian Rhapsody, which all day Stephen Warnock had wind me up going, you can't play that. You can't play that. You can't play that. They won't like it. Um, and it, it was just the best. It was the most surreal art. I've never been as happy. You know, it was just this, the play, just, it was, oh, I can't even put you it in You had some words. special guests come oh, on for you. John Barnes came on oh. and did Rapper's Delight. Legend. And you know what a legend he is? He was backstage and they had asked him to come along. And they went, will you do the Anfield rap? And I went, this is how it happens with John. So I'm cacking myself. This is how John handled 75,000 people. John, you, I said, John, you've done Anfield rap a hundred times. Why don't you get up there and do like, a proper rap song because I know that you love your hip hop and we've talked about it and he, I can't do his accent but he goes have you got an instrumental rapper's delight and I was like I can get it he's like I'll do that sat back <laughs> can't have isotonic legacy in sport nah no worries came out nailed it oh. and then at the end 
Because I played Bohemian Rhapsody and all, all You Need Is Love, by the, as we called All You Need Is Rush. Um, and that was playing at the end. And just randomly, Sammy Hoopier walked on the stage. <laughs> and we're like, this the crowd now of any player to walk on the stage. Listen, there's the best players and then there's your favourite players. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't afford... If I, I imagine going back to childhood, saying to my mum, could I go and see Liverpool? I mean, you wouldn't even ask that question. <laughs> it was, can I have lunch money? Was a question. So... I didn't go until the era where he was coming through and yeah, you know, I was I was one game before my eighteenth birthday and it was only then when I started earning myself I could go. So Hoopie was really important to me. I loved Sammy Hoopie. He's on my all time favourite list, top five easy. And because I got the same play his whole career when he was at Liverpool. And he just walked out. And that moment was like, Oh my god, so good. So that that's the story of that. And uh yeah. And there you go. That's that's what it means. You know what I mean? It's those little moments. You're like, oh my god. And you've met Klopp as well. You've interviewed him. Eh? In my at home series, it's coming out soon. He's he's episode one. Yeah, and he's an over laugher. You know, when he first, I, I love him. He's one of those people. If you say to him, how did Trent Alexander Arnold play? You know, when he's in front of the cameras at the end of games, he's he's got a persona. How do you think Trent played today? And he'll go. <laughs> I said. So he's always got that. So I wanted to have a serious chat with him, you know, where it wasn't all gags. So that was really good. Talking about Ingham growing up in the Black Forest and all that was really interesting. Getting to know the guy himself. So yeah, I met him. I was lucky enough to know Brendan as well. But I try and, with music and sport, I work with you and you're lovely and that's great. But if if you weren't, I wouldn't bother you. You know what I mean? I don't need to know you because of what you've done in football. I like you as a person. So I try to keep the line separate. I've got my mates. I don't need, I don't play golf with ex-players. That's the dullest thing in the world. I'm not looking to be anyone I work with's friend. That's always, you know, I think like, I know you, Pat Nevin. I really like Pat. Pat and I DJed together the other night in in an indie club in London. So we'll go and do that. And Stephen Warnock, I really like. We get on well together, you know. Um, but a, quite a short list, you know what I mean? So um, I don't know what the point is, me telling you. What was, what was it? I've just wondered what yeah. Klopp was like. And- so yeah, so I, I, I don't kind of try and befriend people. I was just lucky because Brendan Rodgers was a manager and when you're fr- mm. everyone knows everyone from Northern Ireland. I, wish that, I always say to people, don't assume that we all know each other just because we're from, you know, you're Irish. People always do that because there's like six million people in Ireland and people go, do you know Margaret? You're like, whoa, 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 I think I fucking know Margaret. Like, there's five million of us. But the problem is, nine times out of ten, you I do, do know yeah, Margaret. Yeah, like, <laughs> the amount of times you'd be like, I can't be- oh, yeah, I do know them. Yeah. Oh, this is amazing. You have wigs. She glued one on. Like, yeah. <clears throat> Keep recording. Um, <laughs> welcome to the Ian Holloway podcast extra, where I've just found out that Ian Holloway has wigs. When do you wear these? For what occasions? It was I was forced to by the bully over there. Okay, that'll be why. When we got promoted, I couldn't go out anywhere, so we decided to go to York, and uh, she made me wear a wig and glasses to see if it would work. Um, we went into a pub and watched an England match with the wig, with the glasses. One bloke went right in and carried on walking. That was all. One bloke. What type of wig? What long wig? Oh, Kim, she's got it on her phone, right? Um, the following night, we took the glasses off, left the wig on. Mm. Too many people, for words, went, all right, Ian, how are you? Blah, 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 right? The but they night, also must have went, what do you got in your head? Yeah. Did they, anyone they, try and no, kill they, it, they, they, thinking they, it was they, a wrap? 
You you definitely did, yeah. And trouble is, it was glued on. She glued it on. So I had this stuff to get it off. I had red welts all over the place. So the oh following night, I went in the pub. Bloke who served me the first night went, oh, Mr. Holloway, how are you? I went, well, I come in the other night. No, you didn't. I said, yes, I did. Brilliant. And I went, there you are. That's me. Right? So we did find out that a toilet wig, as my son calls it, does hide he, me. He goes to the toilet and gets people to, like, shake their hand and take pictures of when he's actually in the loo. Yeah. Who does? And you do. And you say, for God's sake, just let me do my business first. Yeah. So my son said, our son said, what you need is a toilet wig, so you wear a wig in the toilet. So when you go. So I can have a bit of peace. Have you got the picture? I, I'm, I'm on it. Look it up. I'm on it. <laughs> I want to see this because this is the clip that people are going to watch. None of my shite. They're going to watch this. I want to show them the picture, Ian. No, you can't Because that. That, Listen, if you care about promoting this podcast properly... No one wants to know about growing up in Belfast. They want to see you in a wig. This is the nation we live in. Um, so, do you want me to tell you the best ever you can go to and not get spotted? Go on. Darts. And we were playing darts and you love it. So, not as much for me, because I can. as long as I don't talk, I can get away with a lot, because the accent's very familiar. But I have went, when, sometimes it's not, like I'll talk to anyone, mm-hmm. and that's the problem. It's my mates going... You're out with us, and you spent half an hour talking to that person about Brentford. Is there any chance when you come out with us, you could come out with us? So yeah. we go to the darts a few times, we dress up. And I'll get the odd tweet, because they'll, someone will be like, are you dressed as it, girl, <laughs> at the Grand Slam of darts? And we'll have them like, yeah, yeah, that's me. All right. <laughs> I've went as a fraggle to the world, and I'd go with my mates. If you dress up in a fancy dress costume with a, hel- with a helmet that you can drink your beer through, no, 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 you're going to know who you are, and you're allowed to go as fancy dress to the darts. You can go to the darts and have a night free of anyone just by dressing up as like Aranoko or any of the Wombles. Take your pick. <laughs> you picked that because I can right? get my nose in, didn't you? Prince Harry story for you, quickly. Go in there. If you find this picture, I'm filling here, Ken. I'm filling until you get it. This is the gold clip. Holloway and Awake. you don't know is I've deleted them. Oh, maybe. <clears throat> so we're at I'm at the the darts at the Ali Pali with uh uh with um, Bobby George, good friend of mine. So I picked him up in a two seater car, which was a bad idea because he couldn't get out. <laughs> so I had to prize him out with him swearing at me, get me out of this fucking car. <laughs> nice guy ever, right? Take him in and we sit at this table and there's four seats, four seats, we sit here and it's in the posh wee bit. And because Bobby, they treat him like royalty there. It was amazing. Like Eric Bristol met him at the back door and Raymond Van, Van Barneveld was like a kid with him, you know, because he's, he's, you know, he's the original, you know, he, he, he was the guy that brought the pizzazz to it in the showbiz. Um, and he's treated like brilliant, right? So we sit at this table and there's four of us, me, him, David Croft, who you'd know more as a Formula One commentator, uh, little Richard Ashdown was sitting there and there's four empty seats. Well, that's Prince Harry. He sits there. Um, with James Haskell and a couple of his mates. I'll build up to that. Was it there? Oh, my good Lord. Oh, my good Lord. <laughs> I'm going to show you. She won't believe who he looks like. I'll get in a sec. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so he sits down and it's like, I'm what do you do? You, You're technically at a table with Prince Harry. And I said to Bobby George, anywhere else, the onus would be on us to go, hello, it's an honour to have you at the table. You're a prince. I said, but here, Bobby, he's a prince. In the dark world, you're the king of bling. No sooner did I left my, my mouth over my shoulder. Sorry to interrupt you. Bobby, I just want to say I'm a really big fan. 
oh, it's amazing you're at my table. Lovely to meet you, Bobby. And it was Prince Harry. And Bobby went, what, son? What, son? Man, how you go, son? And I was like, and you know what? See, from that, like, no matter what, I love Prince Harry. Mm. Because I'm always like, he, he, at the same time, was like, oh, my God, it's Bobby George. Forget all that, right? Right, oh, my God. Oh, my good Lord. I don't know whether I should show this because it's going to be huge. It's going to be the biggest thing you've ever put out. No. Mate, this is the biggest thing you've ever put out. Are you ready? No, can you, have you got a zoom in on that? Good. Ready? This is Ian Holloway in his wig and glasses. Can you see it? Right. Look Two words. Julian Assange. <laughs> right? Were you, don't ever walk past the Venezuelan embassy. <laughs> That's my only advice to you. Oh my Lord. Take a look at this. <laughs> Unbelievable. Do you know what? Like, I'm I take it all you. back. No, I I'm take serious. it all back. You're what? better with hair. You look like Andy <laughs> Warhol. There's, there's, there's more. There's a blonde one as well. Yeah. Oh no, this will do. No, I've got to show you that. It's a, this is amazing. Yeah, let me show you the Bernie Eccleston. <laughs> <laughs> Picture number two. Wig number two. Join us. Back I, I like that moment. one better. Now, this is a niche reference, but he looks like Neil Hannon from The Divine Comedy's Dad. Unbelievable. I have to say, I think you look great in hair. I think, this, <laughs> I do. I think in this modern age, I you should, should have get a hair transplant. You think so? Yes, honestly. My mate went bald young, like you. And um, <laughs> have you got that now for the whole nation to see on Twitter? It's very, very important. Got it? Okay. Excellent. It. I knew this was a mistake. Wow. Tell you what, if ever, the, if ever there's a Pogues cover band that needs a music. <laughs> oh, you're loving it as well. Uh, Isn't it? Look at uh, Why did you my show mate, him that? Right? My mate, very un- he, 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 you know, he's talked about, you know, you're okay, you're a confident person, but he, he wasn't. And uh, he never liked being bald. He went bald young. And it looked like he was heading for a life of loneliness. He had... A hair transplant, and within nine months he was married. Do you know what I mean? I think you maybe this is what is wrong at the moment. Not maybe this is what we need to get you. I've been perfect managerial job. Years, Ollie. and now we're heading for divorce because she's just shown those pictures. Oh, me Duran Duran one. No, we can't show anymore. The public can't take it. I'm just thinking if you get that call, ring, ring. Can you come in for an interview, Ian, for this job? This manager's job, we think we're we perfect for it, but you're you're one of three people. And the two people that come in before you all have hair, and then you weigh in, cue ball. Maybe this would be it. You'd walk in and be like, oh my God. Do you know like when Homer got hair in The Simpsons and he got a promotion straight away? Yeah. Yeah, but if I walked in your studio with that one, <laughs> I'd be asked to get uh, it off, take it off, wouldn't I? Not being funny. Mate, the best thing about the internet is once it's out there, it can never be taken back. That clip, I will be retweeting it within three seconds of it hitting your account. <laughs> Kim? Well, we're going to have to rub the disguise now, aren't we? Kim? Yes. I need a word in my office with you. <laughs> Trouble is, I haven't got an office. <laughs> Listen, thank you ever so much. Anytime. Coming on, mate. Thank you, sir. Pleasure.